now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I am saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I am a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Last Sunday, we began to talk about a very, very important message, which we're calling the cross of Christ. And uh, we're going to be spending several weeks on this. I want to just quickly review uh, a little bit of what we did last Sunday and then get into something more on the cross of Christ this morning. When we look at the cross of Jesus from various points in Scripture, we begin to see different facets of what the cross is all about and what the cross is intended to do for us or will do for us. And our vision and our understanding of the cross just, just enlarges and we are able to see and understand how great, how powerful a work that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the passage that we use as a foundation text, verses 17 through 25, if you will turn with me please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 to 25. Here's what Paul said, or Paul wrote. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He said, God sent me to preach the gospel. My primary assignment was not to baptize people, although water baptism is a very valid thing. But God sent me to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? He tells us it is the message of the cross of Christ. So we made some bold statements last Sunday that if you're not preaching the cross, you're not preaching the gospel. If you're not preaching the cross, even though what you preach sounds good, it is still not the good news. Because the gospel is the message of the cross of Christ. And uh, Paul said, you know, I don't have to preach it with wisdom of words. I mean, it's good to use good English, but we are not dependent on our English to change lives. It's the power that's inherent in this message of the cross that transforms lives. Verse 18, for the message of the cross, that is the gospel, it is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This message of the cross is the very power of God. Everything that you need to have done in you, in your life, is available through this message of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, 
The world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached. The message means the message of the cross. To the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Man by his own intellectual abilities is unable to reach God. So God said, I'll devise a method to help these people to save them. This method may be foolish, but yet it is the method that God is going to use to save them. What is it? It's the foolishness of the message preached. It may look so foolish that we are investing all our time and effort in preaching a message. But this is God's ordained method to save those who believe. That through the foolishness of this message, the message of the cross that is being proclaimed, that those who believe will experience the saving, healing, delivering, restoring power of God in their lives. Verses 22 onwards, for the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So our audience wants something. The Jews want something spectacular. There are people given to supernatural demonstrations. The Greeks are intellectual. They want something that appeals to the mind, that satisfies their intellects. But we're not here to please either one. Paul said, if I'm a preacher who pleases men, then I'm not a servant of Christ. And we've made some hard statements last Sunday that we've got more preachers who please men than truly serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not audience driven, we're led by the Holy Spirit. And we preach the uncompromising message of the cross. Amen. And he said this, you know, the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To some, it's offensive. It's a stumbling block. It's something they stumble over. And to the Greeks, it sounds foolishness, ridiculous. Somebody dying on the cross 2,000 years ago, affecting my life. But, he says, to those of us who believe, whether we are Jews or whether we are Greeks, this message reveals to us both the wisdom of God and the power of God. Amen. And I just want to highlight something else that we saw last Sunday in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Paul, again, continuing on the message of the cross, he says this, he says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul is telling us that God, on purpose, played hide-and-seek with people. He gave them little clues, but he didn't tell them the whole secret. He gave them clues about the cross, but he didn't reveal it entirely. He kept it hidden, and he did it on purpose. And he did it for you and me, for our glory, for our benefit, for us people today. Then we can look back at the cross and see the message in all clarity, in entirety. He kept it for our glory. Do you know that this message of the cross was intended for your glory? for your blessing, for your edification, to bring into your life and my life everything God intended for us to have. And he kept it secret as a hidden mystery, a hidden wisdom from people before us so that we today could enjoy the full benefits of the cross. And he kept it so that 
if the people of the rulers of this age, the principalities and the powers, if they had known what God was going to do to the cross, they would not have allowed the cross to take place. So he had to keep it a secret. This morning, I want us to go and look at those hide and seek points in the Bible. I want us to go back into the Old Testament and look at those clues that God gave to people and kind of try to understand because now we can see the whole picture. Try to understand what was God telling his people at each of those moments in the Old Testament. So we will call this morning's message as the shadows of the cross. The Old Testament types, the Old Testament clues that God dropped along the way for his people. All pointing to the cross. There are many of them. We're going to try to cover as many as we can this morning. And we need to do it in a hurry. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. The first clue. And what was God revealing in the very first clue? In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Right after Adam and Eve sinned against God. They did what God told them not to do in the garden. Satan had come in the form of a serpent and deceived them. Got them into something they did. God told them not to do. God comes on the scene. And he pronounces his verdict on the situation. He speaks to the serpent. And he says in Genesis 3 verse 14. And then in verse 15 he says this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head or crush your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Right in the garden, God was telling Satan, you think you've got through to me. You think you've disturbed my plan. But I'm telling you, there's a seed of the woman who is coming. And he is going to crush your head. Now you might bruise his heel. You might hurt him a little bit. But he is going to crush your head. So the cross of Jesus Christ, is a place where Satan got his head crushed. Amen. We need to understand that the cross dealt a fatal blow to Satan. That on the cross, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, crushed the head of the serpent. And as we study the cross of Jesus, keep in mind that everything Jesus did on the cross, he didn't do it for himself. He needed none of that. Everything he did on the cross, he did it for you and for me. So when Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, he did it for you and for me. Amen. That's why Paul could write later in Romans, the 16th chapter, the 20th verse, he writes to the saints at Rome and he says, The God of peace shall soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Hey, saints, Jesus crushed him on the cross. It's your turn now. Amen. As a believer, you must understand that right there in the Garden of Eden, God announced that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus paved the way for every born again, blood washed child of God to trample Satan under their feet. That's the kind of life God wants you and me to live. Unfortunately, We give the devil more power than he really has. His greatest weapon is lies and deception. When you believe a lie, you empower the liar. You give him more power than he really has. 
And why are so many believers living as though Satan's head has not been crushed? Simply because they believe lies. They magnify him beyond how big he really is. But understand that the cross of Jesus has already dealt a fatal blow. There's nothing more God's asking you you and me to do to the devil except step into where Jesus has stepped upon already. Amen. In that same setting in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve and they sinned, their immediate reaction was one of shame. Sin always causes shame. And in order to cover shame, his shame, Adam goes and makes a tunic of fig leaves, the first garment factory. And he gets one done for his wife, one for himself. And he thinks, well, this is something that will cover our shame, our nakedness. And interestingly, in Genesis, the third chapter, here's what God does in verse 21. The second clue. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. God comes on the scene and he says, Adam, your fig leaves are not going to do the job. You need garments of skin. Where did these garments come from? They came from at least two animals that had been killed. They are tunics of skin, garments of skin. Who brought it to Adam? God brought it. What was the clue? The only covering for sin and shame is a covering that God gives and it is based on sacrifice. Amen. The works of man, as good as they may be, as pretty as they may look, will not cover the shame of sin. It's the garment that God gives based on sacrifice that will cover our nakedness. In chapter 4, the third clue that God gives, now Adam and Eve have sons, Cain and Abel. They've grown up. They're engaging in their vocation. Abel is a shepherd. Cain is a farmer. They want to worship God. So Abel brings, he picks out the best of his flock, slaughters it, brings it as an offering to God. Cain, he does his best. He probably picked the best of produce of, the, of, his, of his land. And he brought the best. He put it on the altar to worship God. And the Bible doesn't tell us this, but it is something we could probably safely infer that fire probably came from heaven, fell upon Abel's sacrifice as a sign from God that he accepted Abel's sacrifice. And Cain was watching and waiting and nothing happened. And he knew that God had not accepted his sacrifice. And he became very angry. But God told Cain, if you do what is right, would you also not be accepted? Meaning you too can do what's right. Understand what I'm trying to say. Get it. If you do what is right, you will be accepted. Your, your sacrifice will also be accepted. So God was hoping Cain will understand the message. But Cain didn't. He got angry, jealous of his brother, and he killed his brother. But what was the message that God was giving through this clue? It's simply this. That worship of God. Genuine worship, worship that will be accepted by God, must always be based on sacrifice, on blood sacrifice. When we come to worship God, we cannot worship Him based on our works, as good as they may be. Not on the works of our own hands, but only 
through the cross of Jesus Christ. Why is it that today you and I can stand and worship God? Not because we've lived a good life. A good life's important, but that's not the foundation on which you worship God. It's because Jesus Christ offered His life on the cross of Calvary. That's the basis on which we worship God. Amen. That's the message. That's the clue that God was leaving in Genesis, the fourth chapter, for his people to understand. Abraham is the next type in Genesis, the 22nd chapter. God speaks to Abraham. He now has his son of promise, his only son of promise, Isaac. And God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 22 and he says, Abraham, I want you to take up Isaac. I want you to go up to Mount Moriah and I want you to offer him there as a sacrifice. Your only son. Abraham obeys God. He takes his only son Isaac and they're up on the way up the mountain. And Isaac asks his father, Dad, you've got the fire, you've got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says in Genesis 22 verse 8, The Lord will provide the lamb for sacrifice. The Lord will provide the lamb for sacrifice. So they go up to the top of the mountain, the place where Abraham had to do the sacrifice. He puts Isaac on the altar. He's about to bring the dagger down when God says, Wait, I know you're a man of obedience. Here's a very important thing. Your moment of obedience will also be your moment of revelation. Your greatest revelations come in your points of greatest obedience to God. Many seek revelation, but they refuse to obey. You will not get revelation without obedience. Your place of obedience is your place of revelation. It unveils something of God you've never seen. And that's exactly what happened. At Abraham's point of greatest obedience to God, he received the greatest revelation. God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want to reveal something to you about myself. I am Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide or correctly Abraham it means on the mount of the Lord it will be provided what is it? the lamb for sacrifice and God is revealing to Abraham Abraham here's a revelation I want you to get on the mount of the Lord the lamb will be provided your place of obedience will also be your place of revelation Abraham received a revelation of the crucified Christ Right there. Jesus said in John the 8th chapter verse 56. He said. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. How did Abraham see his day? The day of Christ. Right there on Mount Moriah. When God gave him a revelation. On the mount of the Lord. The lamb will be provided. Amen. What is the message of the cross? given there on Mount Moriah. It's simply this, that God will take care of the sacrifice that is needed for our sins. The Lord, on the Mount of the Lord, the Lamb will be provided. Jehovah Jireh, God Himself will provide the Lamb for sacrifice. Amen. This is not a Lamb that was raised up by some man to be offered up as a sacrifice. This was the Lamb sent from God. Behold the Lamb of God. On the Mount of the Lord, 
it shall be provided. God was giving a message to Abraham about the cross of Christ. Saying, I will provide the lamp. How many believers today are trying to bring their own sacrifice to God? It is true we must all offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. But it's in response to the sacrifice he has already made. Our relationship with God is not based on any sacrifice we bring. Because on the mount of the Lord, it has already been provided. Amen. It's already been provided. It is finished. It is done. God has provided for him the lamb for sacrifice. Everything we do today is only a thank you to God for what He has already provided. The Passover lamb in the book of Exodus, the 12th chapter, is the next great type. You and I are very familiar with this story. The people of God, the people of Israel, had been in captivity about 400, 440 years now. Been slaves in Egypt. God had raised up Moses as a deliverer saying, I want you to go bring my people out of Egypt. I'm getting ready to take them into the promised land. Several miraculous things had happened, but here came the night, the night of deliverance. And God said, tell every household of my people to take a lamb that was perfect, without blemish, without spot, kill the lamb, take the blood, apply it on the doorposts of the house, and be ready because tonight is the night of their deliverance. And God's people obey. The word of the Lord through Moses. Every household takes a lamb, kills it, applies the blood to the doorpost of the house. That night, God said, when the destroyer, I'm going to draw a distinction between my people covered under the blood and the people of the land. Do you know that God sees you different from the rest of the world because you're under the blood? And he said, when the destroyer passes through the land of Egypt, I will pass over my people. I will be a covering for my people so that the destroyer will not come in. I will protect my people. And secondly, not only will I protect them, I will cause such great fear and favor to come upon the people of the land. Those who have been your masters for 400 years will suddenly open up all the treasuries to you. There will be such favor that in one night, the wealth of Egypt is transferred into the hands of those who had been their slaves. And God said, you will come forth. I will bring you forth with silver and gold. The Passover lamb. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, verse 6, he says, verse 7, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. What the Old Testament had was the shadow. We have the reality. Christ is our Passover. Christ is your Passover lamb. Everything that the Old Testament Passover lamb did or signified to the people, Christ brings in reality into your life and mine. Because of Him, we are delivered from the powers of darkness. 
Because of him, we are protected from what's in the world. Because of him, God releases favor on you and me to cause the wealth of the world to be transferred into our hands. Amen. He is our Passover lamb. This is what the Passover lamb did for the people of Israel. He is a reality of the shadow they experience. If the shadow would do that, how much more would the reality cause to take place for you and me? Amen. That's the power of the cross. As the people of Israel journeyed out of Egypt and they moved towards the promised land, we see the next type that God gave them, the shadow of the cross that God gave them. In their journey, they were so thirsty, they tired, thirsty. So they began to complain. Moses, what did you do? In Egypt, we had Coke, Pepsi, Diet Coke, whatever else. And out here in the wilderness, Moses, we have nothing. We need at least water to drink. Now, that's how in the Bible is just slight. Moses cries out to God, God, what do I do? And God says, okay, here's a moment, but I will give them a type, a shadow. He says, Moses, you go to the rock, take your rod, strike the rock once. Strike the rock once, and water will come forth. So Moses takes his rod, he strikes the rock once, and water comes out that quenches the thirst of the people. Later on in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, Paul looks back at that incident and he says, that rock, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, that rock that was struck was Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he was that rock that was struck. What happened? The type caused a river to flow that quenched the thirst, the need, that met the needs of the people. So also the reality, when Christ was struck on the cross, it caused heaven's floodgates to open up, to release into your life and mine everything we need. Everything. The river of God began to flow into our lives through the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no thirst that you're carrying today. There is no need in your life that you're carrying today which the river of God had opened up to you and me through the cross of Jesus where Christ was struck that he cannot meet today. Amen. And that's why we make that statement. All our needs are met in the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything. Because the rock was struck. Amen. Right after this, a second incident happened. It was unfortunate because God was setting up to convey another message. But Moses spoiled it. In Numbers, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 12, they come in a similar situation once again where the people are very thirsty. And Moses goes to God and says, God, the people are thirsty. We've run out of water what should we do? And God says, Moses, let's do the rock thing again. Oh, rock thing. God, sure, let's do it. It's fun. 
But Moses, we're going to do it a little different this time. This time, I want you to speak to the rock. Now that is really important because God was setting up a type. He was dropping a hidden wisdom clue for us. Unfortunately, Moses was so agitated by the people. Instead of doing what God said, speak to the rock. He took his rod and he struck the rock. Now God loved the people so much, he still caused water to flow. And he quenched the thirst. He met the needs. But for Moses, he said, Moses, this is too serious an incident for me to overlook. Why? I told you to speak to the rock, you struck it. And God's decision at that moment was, Moses, you will not enter into the promised land. Your destiny is cut short right here. God's original intent for Moses was to be the deliverer. Take the people out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. But Moses made such a fatal mistake that his destiny was cut short right there. In Deuteronomy 3, Moses pleads with God, says, God, please, please, please let me go into the land of promise. And God says, no, I cannot. The only thing I can allow is for you to go up to this mountain and from a distance I will allow you to see into the land. But you will not step it. Your destiny is cut short. Why was God so severe? Because Moses misrepresented the message God wanted to bring out through the type. The message that God wanted to communicate to his people was this. That the rock will be struck only once. Thereafter, there is no need to strike the rock. All you have to do is speak to it and you will receive the same blessing in your life. All that's needed is speak to the rock. Unfortunately, Moses compromised that message. And God said, it's a serious mistake. Your life ends here. I'm sure Moses will sort that out with God. But for us, the message is simply this. Christ died once for all. His work on the cross is all sufficient. Is more than enough. Don't strike the rock a second time. Don't even attempt to do it. All that's needed to receive the river of God in our lives now is speak to Him. Amen. Once is more than enough takes care of everything. Today, just speak to the rock. The river of God will flow freely into your life and mine to meet all our needs, to quench every thirst in our lives. The book of Leviticus is filled with types of the cross of Christ. God instituted several sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. And every sacrifice pointed to a certain aspect of the cross of Christ or to Christ himself. There were many, many sacrifices or offerings as it is called in the book of Leviticus. I want to just hit on a few things there. Almost every offering had to do with the sacrifice of an animal. Almost every one of them. Here were some of the main kinds of offerings. There was... 
the burnt offering in the first chapter of Leviticus, what would the, the person would do if he wanted to offer a, a burnt offering? He brings an animal. He lays his hand on the animal and the animal is offered up to God. Talking to us about substitution. Instead of me being on there, this animal that I've laid hands on represents me over there. Talking about substitution. The burnt offering points to the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross. Instead of me being there, He was there. Then there is the sin offering. You read about it, I think, in the fourth chapter. This is an offering for sins that are unknown or unintentional. You did something wrong. You didn't even know you did something wrong. Then afterwards you realize, oh, I did something wrong back there. You bring a sin offering. The trespass offering is an offering for sin that you committed and you know you did something wrong. For known sins, you bring a trespass offering. Then there is a peace offering. You bring an offering for you to be reconciled to God. What are all these offerings talking about? Different facets of the work of Christ on the cross. He was our substitute. His work takes care of sins known and unknown. And His work brings peace between us and God. Amen. But one of the most important things God instituted at that time for His people was the Day of Atonement. It's an annual day. On that day, and this is in the 16th chapter of the book of Leviticus, verse 15 and onwards. On that day, the high priest would take two animals. One he would kill, collect the blood and go into the most holy place, the holiest of holies, sprinkle the blood. The other animal he would lay his hands upon, confess the sins of the people and send it out into a far off place, never to be brought back anymore. Both typifying what Christ would do for us on the cross. He became our sin offering. Hebrews 9 says that he entered into the most holy place with his blood once for all. When Christ did it, the Bible says the veil of the temple was rent in two. In the Old Testament, the day of atonement took place over and over again every year. And Christ did it. This curtain in the temple rent in two. Hebrews 10 says he opened up for us a new and living way so that we may having boldness we may enter into the most holy place through the blood of Jesus he opened up a way of access to God but he also not he was not only our sin offering but he also became our sin bearer which means he carried all our sin the guilt and the shame of it all far, far away into a land of no remembrance. And therefore God says, your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. Not only did Christ take care of the God word side so that you can have full access to God, but he took care of the man word side, meaning you do not have to live under the shame and the guilt and the condemnation of sin. Amen. So many believers still struggle under guilt and shame and condemnation. But I want you to understand that when you embrace the cross of Christ, you embrace it wholly. He was your sin offering. He also was your sin bearer. He has moved your sins into the land of forgetfulness. He has taken it all away that God himself does not recollect it. So why do you? Amen. Another great type 
or shadow of the cross. And this is very interesting. It's in the book of Numbers, the 21st chapter, verses 4 through 9. Here's another incident that took place as the people journeyed on their way to the land of promise, the land of Canaan. In the wilderness, as they murmured and complained against Moses and his leadership, the Bible says fiery serpents came into the camp and started biting people. And people were dying by the thousands because of these serpents. Moses cries out to God and God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a brass serpent. Put it on a pole, set it up in the camp so that anyone who's bitten by the snake looks at the brass serpent and they will not die, they will live. Jesus comes along in John the third chapter verses 14 through 16 as he's talking to Nicodemus, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the bronze or brass serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Meaning, that was a clue God was giving about what I will do on the cross. And he continued, For God sent not the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What was this brass serpent all about? First of all, why a serpent? It has no resemblance to the Christ. The serpent in the Bible typifies two things. It talks about sin and it talks about Satan. Brass in the Bible means judgment. His feet are like brass, Revelation 1. The altar of sacrifice on which animals were sacrificed was a brass altar. A brazen altar. Brass signifies judgment. So what was God saying to his people in the Old Testament? He said, on this pole... Sin and Satan are judged. So when Christ was raised up on the cross at Calvary, what was happening? Once for all, God was judging the sins of the whole world. And Satan was judged once and for all on the cross. What did the people have to do in the Old Testament? If anybody was bitten by a snake, if sin and Satan has in some form or fashion affected your life, all they had to do was look to the cross. Not to Moses. Not to Joshua. To the serpent raised on the pole. So also today in the New Testament, because Jesus Christ has been raised up on the cross, if any one of us, all of us who have been affected by the sting of sin and Satan in our lives, all we have to do is look, 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 look at the cross. What does it mean to look at the cross? Jesus explained in John 3. For whoever believes in him will not perish. It means to believe in the cross of Jesus. And the power of sin and Satan over our lives will be broken. As we look to the cross. Amen. And the last type that we will look at. In the Old Testament. There are probably others. But this is in Deuteronomy 21. Verses 22 and 23. Over here in Deuteronomy 21. 22 and 23. The Bible says. If a man has committed a sin. Deserving of death. And he is put to death. And you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain overnight on the tree. 
But you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defy the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. So when they had a deal with a man who's committed sin, you hang him on a tree. Don't let him remain on the tree beyond the end of the day. Take his body down, bury it. Because everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Paul in the New Testament, writing in Galatians, the third chapter, verses 13 and 14, he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse or having been made a curse for us, because as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us, the Gentiles, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. Paul points back to Deuteronomy and he says, you know what? When God set that up, he was getting people ready to understand the cross. Because when Christ was hung on the cross, he became a curse for us. The judgment, the wrath that we and I are supposed to have taken in order to move the curse out of the way and release the blessing of Abraham upon our lives. The cross ends the curse and the cross releases the blessing. None of us who ever believe in the cross of Jesus could dare say, I am cursed. You're not. He became a curse for you. None of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ could, should need ever say there is a curse on my life. I want you to know every curse has its full stop at Calvary. Calvary is the birthplace of the blessing of God on your life. Amen. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. What is the blessing of Abraham? We could talk a lot about it. But to quickly summarize, Abraham received righteousness by faith. Abraham had such an intimate walk with God. James calls him a friend of God. That's another blessing. Abraham triumphed over his enemies. Abraham walked, enjoyed the prosperity of the land. All of this is part of that covenant and that blessing of Abraham. And Jesus died on the cross to put a full stop to every curse and open the door to every blessing of Abraham for you and me. If you are a believer in the cross of Jesus, you need to be absolutely convinced that you are blessed by God. Have an attitude of blessedness. I'm blessed with heaven's best because of the cross. Amen. Never for one moment let the devil believe you're under a curse. The curse ended on Calvary's tree. Every curse is broken. The blessing of God is on my life because of the cross. Amen. This is the meaning of the cross of Jesus. I want you to take a few moments, please, just to reflect on what you've heard. God has done an amazing work for you and me on the cross. It's up to you and me to believe it. Man, by wisdom, didn't know God. The cross is foolishness to some. But to those of us who believe, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross paved the way for every child of God to crush Satan under their feet. The cross paved the way for you and I to stand clothed with the righteousness of God. The cross paved the way for you and I to worship Him in a way that our worship will truly be accepted 
acceptable to God. The cross tells us it is God himself who has provided the lamb for sacrifice. He is our Passover lamb. Because of the cross we are delivered. We are protected and we are favored in the land. Because of the cross that was struck once and only once. The river of God that meets every need in our lives, that quenches every thirst. Is available. All we need to do is speak to Him. Because of the cross, He is our substitute. The sin offering and the trespass offering that covers every sin, known and unknown. He is our peace offering that reconciles us to God. He is our atonement, our sin offering and our sin bearer. Our guilt, our shame has been taken away. Because of the cross, the sting of sin and Satan or our lives has been annulled. Just look at the cross. Believe in Jesus. Because of the cross, the curse has been removed. The blessing has been released on our lives. Could we please stand and take a few moments just to worship the Lord this morning? And I want you to receive, believe in your heart. In the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross, believe in your heart and receive by faith. Saying, Jesus, if you did this for me on the cross, there's nothing more I can do. I just receive by faith. Maybe in your life right now, you feel like the devil's got the upper hand. But God intended for you to crush Satan under your feet. Jesus paved the way for it. You say, God, I need victory in this area of my life. For I seem to have fallen so many times, but I need victory, oh God. I will choose to believe in what Christ did for me. Maybe you're weighed down with guilt and shame and condemnation of what you've done. But this morning, you understand that Jesus became your sin bearer. He carried your sins away into a land of forgetfulness, never to be recovered. So feel free, stand free in the presence of God. My sin, my shame is gone. The river of God flows freely through the cross of Jesus. What is it that you need? It's met through the cross. He was struck once and that once is enough. Today, all you need to do is speak to Him. Lord Jesus, meet this need in my life, Lord. The blessing of Abraham is on you. You are blessed by God. Would you believe it? Would you receive it? Would you say, God, I'm expecting to walk as a man, as a woman who is blessed by God. When I go to my school, my college, my place of work tomorrow, I will hold my head up high. I will have a smile on my face. Not because my situations have changed, but simply because I believe in the finished work of the cross, of Christ on the cross. The curse has ended and the blessing has been released. And sooner or later, it is going to manifest people will see that I am the blessed of God. And because of the cross, I will hold my head up high. I will smile.
because my situations will change, my circumstances will change, and His blessing will come through. Christ died for it. Would you take some time right now between you and the Lord to pray? If there's anyone here this morning you've never believed in Jesus Christ, I don't care if you believe in religion. Religion will not save you. I don't, believe in, I don't care if you believe in a church. Your church will not save you. I don't care if you love a preacher. A preacher will not save you. It's Jesus Christ alone that you need to believe in. He is the only one who died for you on the cross. And if you will believe in Him, that He was buried, He rose up again, He's alive today, the Bible says you will be saved. If you've never done it in your life, if you've never made a decision to believe in Jesus, while the band's playing, when everyone is praying, I want you in the quietness of your own heart to pray and say, Jesus, this morning, I choose to believe in you. Your life will change forever if you will make that decision. Let us all wait upon the Lord right now. Father, we just thank you that your word brings healing. That this message of the cross is the power of God. And I just thank you, God, that even as the power of the cross has been proclaimed in this place, oh God, that that word, that message will become effective in each one of our lives. That truly the power, the sting of sin and Satan will truly be rendered powerless in our lives. That every child of God here will walk in victory over sin and Satan in their lives. That every child of God will know that they are blessed of God. That every child of God will know that they have access in the very presence of God. That we can have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That every child of God in this place will be free completely from any guilt and condemnation and shame that the river of God meets every knee brings healing and wholeness in each of our lives we just thank you thank you for doing it we just thank you God we bless you we honor you amen Man, thank God for the cross. Thank God. Let's give him praise. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And the Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance on you. And give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.